Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit brings us to our Savior's cross today and strengthens us to persevere is 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 13, the second lesson for today. For I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, that all our fathers were under the cloud and all went through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with the majority of them, for they were done away with in the desert. Now these things were examples for us, in order that we are not desirous for evil as they desired it. Do not be idolaters as some of them. Just as it's written, the people sat to eat and drink and got up to play. Let us not practice sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Let us not put Christ to the test as some of them did. And they were being destroyed by the poisonous snakes. Don't grumble as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples and were written to admonish us for whom the end of the ages has arrived. Therefore, whoever thinks he's standing firm, let him watch out lest he fall. No temptation has seized you except what's human, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but along with the temptation he will also provide the way out, namely, being able to bear up. This is the word of our Lord. Uh, Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. You know the history of the children of Israel. You, You know their exodus from Egypt. You've learned the events of those 40 years in the wilderness. You've been taught that in Sunday school, and we've also seen how these dramatic events of history have also captured the imagination of Hollywood. Cecil B. DeMille's epic, The Ten Commandments, starring Charleston Heston as Moses, is still rerun on, on television each year. Other retellings of these events have also been produced now and then, A few years ago, you had a cartoon version called The Prince of Egypt, and then you have spoofs on the Exodus as well, like Mo and the Big Exit. Yes, you know those events well. But what does it mean for you and me today? Do you know that? Why did God have these historical events recorded in his word for us to read, learn, think about, and meditate on? And if you know the answer to those questions, are you putting it into practice and applying it in your daily life? Do the divine lessons from uh, these events direct your thoughts and attitudes? Do they impact your emotions and feelings? Do they transform your words and actions? Yes, dear friends, even when we know the lessons to learn from these events, how far we still have to go so that they become a part of us, 
filling our hearts and overflowing into our lives. So today, dear friends, let the Holy Spirit, through these words of the Apostle Paul, teach you the divine lessons from Israel's history and empower you to put them into practice. In the first lesson, we see Christ lavishing his blessings on his people. He rescued them from slavery in Egypt, freedom, deliverance. He humbled the Egyptians with the ten plagues and then let his people out going before them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Picture that pillar of cloud leading the people when they saw it going ahead of them. They knew the Lord was guiding them. And when the Egyptians pursued them and pinned them against the Red Sea, that cloud not only guided them, it protected them as well. It went between them and the Egyptians, bringing darkness to the Egyptians and light to the Israelites as the Lord made a dry path through the Red Sea for his people to cross. Then, with his people safely on the other side, the water came crashing down on their enemies, destroying them. Through the cloud and the sea, he had marked these people as his own chosen people, rescued through the hand of his servant Moses. And in baptism, dear friends, in baptism, he has marked you as his people. He has lavished his great blessings on you. Baptism freed you from the power of your sin to condemn you, for your guilt was washed away. Baptism delivered you from slavery to Satan, for you were reborn as a child of God. Baptism rescued you from the fear of death, for it is the water of life. And baptism continues to daily drown the enemy within you. And you don't need to wonder whether baptism and its promises, its lavish blessings, are really for someone like you. For you see, our Savior graciously makes these promises to all who are baptized. Yes, to all who are baptized, including you, dear friend. These lavish blessings of baptism are yours through faith alone. They're not based on, on your effort or works. They're not, but they are based. They are based on God's promise alone, which your faith clings to. As long as you continue in the faith, the lavish blessings of baptism are yours, free and unconditional. Think of that as you listen again to Paul's words from the text. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. God lavished his blessings on his people Israel just as he has on you through baptism. And his blessing didn't stop with simply rescuing them, did it? Christ's lavish love continued to bless them. He gave them manna, fed them in the desert with that bread from heaven each morning, six days a week for 40 years. And on at least two occasions, when they had no water, he brought water out of a rock for them to drink. But more than this physical care, he gave them the spiritual care they needed most of all. He gave them the living water that flows from Christ, the Messiah. He held before them the promise to send the Christ, 
to send him as the once and for all sacrifice for sins. That's what all those animal sacrifices pictured again and again for the people. He held before them the promise to send the Christ who alone would safely bring them to the heavenly promised land. And that's really why he rescued them from Egypt and brought them into Canaan so that the Christ would come through Abraham's family just as the Lord had promised. And so Paul writes, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. And dear friends, he has lavished on you and me spiritual blessings that are even more generous. For you see, the Christ, the Messiah, has come as God promised He is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Mary and the Son of God. He gives us not some flaky, honey-tasting-like bread, but he gives us his body to eat, the real bread that came down from heaven. He gives us his blood to drink shed on the cross for you. He feeds our souls with his supper. What a lavish table he has prepared for us to feast on. What a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. But be warned, dear friends. Beware, take heed, watch out. And this brings us to the second divine lesson we learn from Israel's history today. Although God's lavish blessings never fall short, so many people, yes, the majority, abuse his goodness and so lose his blessing. Guard your heart so that you, dear friend, are not one of them. Yes, how tragically ironic this is, isn't it? Our sinful pride uses the very blessings God's goodness lavishes on us to cut us off from Him. That's why we need the warning from Israel's history. Pay attention to it. Paul writes, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. They knew they were God's chosen people. He had rescued them. So now they figured that they knew best. They even knew better than God a lot of times, or at least that's what they thought. They could make their own choices in life and set their hearts on whatever they wanted, and things would just have to work out because, you know, they were God's people. And so when Moses didn't come down from Mount Sinai for 40 days, they partied around the golden calf, even though that was not the worship the Lord wanted. They thought they knew better. Such arrogance. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. And you know what happened when Moses came down from the mountain. Oh, they thought they could indulge in sexual pleasures outside of marriage, and God wouldn't care. They knew better. Such arrogance. And look what happened. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. On another occasion they became impatient with God's way and detested the manna he had given them to eat year after year. They knew better if he didn't keep his promise to give them the land on their timetable. He 
failed their test. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And on another occasion, again, in their arrogance, they they grumbled against God and the leaders he had given them. Why not pick other leaders and return to Egypt, they figured. They thought they knew best. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Yes, dear friends, beware, be warned. Take these warnings to heart. Watch out. Paul writes, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Yes, dear friends, you are baptized into God's family. He has marked you as his people. But do we continually feed our baptismal faith with God's word and sacrament, or do we we think we know better? Do we imagine we can worship God and encounter him outside his word and sacraments, even though that's the only place he's promised to reveal himself? How similar that is to the Israelites who imagined that they could worship the Lord through the golden calf. Do we think we can pick and choose when we hear the word as long as we get around to it sometimes? Do we think our faith is so strong that we're standing firm enough to get by without God's word taking up too much of our time? So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Heed the warning. We know, yes, we know that Jesus died for our sins. But does our sinful arrogance misuse that? Does this dialogue sometimes happen in our minds? Yes, Jesus died for me, so I don't need to pay too close of attention to to what God says about right and wrong. I think that I, I know what's best for me. Why not mess around and and have a little fun? uh, My faith's strong enough, isn't it? And if I need forgiveness sometime, you know, there's always the Lord's Supper there. But dear friends, the Lord's Supper isn't a license for sin. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Heed the warning. We think we know so much better. So we grow impatient with God's timetable. Do it now, Lord, or I'll have to find a better way to improve my life. We put him to the test. We grumble against him and his leaders who speak the word of truth when it doesn't fit with what we want. Yes, even though we know it is the truth, we can grumble against it because we just don't want to hear it at that time. We think we know so much better. So if you think you are standing firm, Be careful that you don't fall. Heed the warning. Don't arrogantly abuse his goodness, for then you too will be in the majority, the majority that is lost and damned to hell. Be careful 
that you don't fall. But dear friends, dear sinner, fellow sinners, when the when that that arrogance within us and our sin terrify us and we feel it pulling us and we feel ourselves slipping and falling when everything else that we thought was so firm underneath crumbles and the earth itself gives way then dear friend know know that God is faithful only his faithfulness sustains you and me. That, that's the final lesson today for us to take to heart and put into practice. Paul writes, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Temptation pulls at us, as it does on all human beings. Temptations toward pride and arrogance, thinking that we know better than God. Temptations toward doubt, wondering how God could ever save someone as arrogant as I've been. Temptations toward false belief, building our hopes on what God hasn't promised. Temptations toward other great and shameful sins. But God is faithful. He does not go back on his word. He is trustworthy. And here is the promise he has made to you, dear Christian. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Hold him to his promise. Yes, hold him. Hold him to his word. On the other hand, though, don't inject your own opinion into that promise. You see, he hasn't promised to take temptation completely away from us. He hasn't promised to make it easy so that we can just sort of coast through life. And he hasn't promised us that the ability to withstand temptation on our own apart from him. Rather, he's promised to give you the strength to bear up, to battle on. And he's promised to give you this strength in a very specific way, namely through his word and sacraments. For they are the tools of the Holy Spirit. Through his word and sacraments, he gives you the strength to stand up underneath temptation as you fight, as you endure, as you persevere. Yes, he gives you that strength to battle on as you fight with all that you've got. Now that's the way out that he's promised. Yes, he is faithful. So, dear Christian, as you face trial and temptation, as you feel them pressing down hard on you, go to him in prayer, holding him to his promises. And as you pray, remember that prayer isn't a bargaining, but a begging. Set aside sinful pride and fall before your God, pleading for his mercy as a poor beggar falls before a mighty monarch. For we have nothing to offer him in order to get our prayers answered. Rather, prayer relies on his merciful promises alone. For God is faithful. 
Yes, he's promised to provide you the strength to bear up under whatever the load might be. He has promised you the strength to battle temptation. And that strength and power only comes through his word and sacraments, the tools of the Spirit, as we just mentioned a little while ago. We fall to temptation when we fail to rely on his word and sacraments. We fall not because he's unfaithful, but because we're unfaithful in using his word and sacraments. For his word and sacraments are the answer to our prayers for strength to stand up under temptation. His word and sacraments protect us even as the cloud and the water of the Red Sea protected his people of Israel. His word and sacraments nourish us even as the manna and the water from the rock nourished Israel. For you see, God is faithful. So battle on, dear Christian. Battle temptation. Bear up. Bear up underneath it no matter how heavy that strain may be. Battle it with all the strength and might that the Lord gives you through his word and sacraments. Battle it with every ounce of your being. For God is faithful. His faithfulness will certainly sustain you. Yes, dear friends, learn these divine lessons from Israel's history and put them into practice in your hearts and lives. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.